Welcome to the Fresh Start Church Podcast, where we exist to influence a nation with revival. Here you'll find preached messages from our pastors. We pray that the spirit of revival is imparted to you as you listen. To watch live, check us out on YouTube or visit our website at freshstartaz.com. And to stay connected with us, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. I want to read a scripture to you this morning out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. I will, the, the first uh, translation I want to read is the New American Standard Bible. And it says, we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly. Encourage the faint-hearted, the weak. Be patient with everyone. Strengthen the weak. What does this say? Oh, help the weak. I left out that part. Help the weak. I just got the weak. (laughs) I still write my stuff out. (laughs) Don't look at me like that. Help the weak. And, and, the, and, and the Passion Translation took such a leap. I thought, I've got to make sure this is right. And it said in the Passion Translation, we appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, to instruct those who are not in their place of battle. I think that's worth reading one more time. This is strong language from the apostle, the father, the apostolic father of the church of Thessalonica. The church is only two years old. Paul went there, birthed this church through revival, planted this church, and two years later he sent Timothy to check on them, and then he wrote this, and he said, listen, we appeal to you, who? Him and Timothy and the apostolic uh, uh, brethren. We appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters. Who's the brothers and sisters, the leaders in the church? We appeal to you to instruct those who are not in their place of battle. Be skilled at gently encouraging those who feel themselves inadequate. Be faithful to stand your ground. Help the weak to stand again. Be quick to demonstrate patience with everyone. Lord, bless your word today. And then we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And the people of God said, amen. amen. God bless you so much. You can be seated. Thank you so much, team. Y'all hurry. I got a word. You don't want to miss it. half of it before you get back in here. Just saying. Okay, so I've been trying to preach out of this verse for two weeks. I had this in my notes a couple of Sundays ago when I was talking about a difficult season and, and, and I just blew right by it and never got to it. I had it in my notes for when I was going to speak at the conference and I didn't even preach that message. So I finally get to release this, because this scripture, I have not been able to shake. I just, I, I just I have not been able to get away from it. Especially this, this first part when he says, Instruct those who are not in their place of battle. This is what I've come to do today. I've come to let you know it's time for battle. Oh, pastor, we know that. We even sang that this morning. Yes, we did. And we know that. But so today. See, this is a very strong apostolic warning. 
Some translations even use the word warn. Warn them. Warn them. Other translations use the word urge and exhort. These are powerful words because they all come from the same root word that depicts someone coming alongside another person and urging them, appealing to them, begging them to make a course correction. In other words, you're, you're headed the wrong way. You're making the wrong choices. And so because Paul is like, because I am an apostolic father, I urge you, I plead with you, I beg you, change your course. Reset your direction that you're moving in. This this word, and and, and the reason it's translated the way it is in the Passion Translation, is is this this word uh, was used... In the Roman armies, by military leaders, and that before they would they would send their troops into battle, they would gather the troops, and they would share with them the realities of war. They would share with them the potential dangers of the battlefield. They would let them know this is the reality of war. Tomorrow we will face an enemy, and it's going to be hard. And not everybody's going to come back from battle. This is the reality of war. But they also shared with them the glories of victory. The spoil comes to the victor. They wanted to let them know, listen, this is going to be hard. This is going to be tough. Not everybody's going to make it through. But those that make it through will taste and see how great victory really is. They would not ignore the dangers of battle. And instead of ignoring these dangers of battle, they would come right alongside their troops. And they would tell them, no matter how hard and fierce the battle becomes, stand your ground, stiffen your shoulders, put out your chest, look your enemy in the eye and fight to the finish. So here's the reality of the Christian life. When you walk by faith and you do the will of God, sometimes the will of God places you in a spiritual battle. And they are not quickly won. Sometimes they only last a while. Then there's that moment where you realize, wait a minute, I'm done with this. I'm over this, but the battle is still rages. This is why a couple of weeks ago, I I admonished you in Hebrews 10, 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance. So when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. He slipped this little phrase in there, for you may need endurance. Let let me just clarify, you will need endurance. Hebrews 10, 25, it says, this is not the time to pull away. 
If you feel something pulling you away, it's because it's the time of battle. Ah. This is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together as some have formed the habit of doing. In fact, you should come together even more, 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 more frequently. Isn't it something how the church always goes the opposite of what we're exhorted to do when times get tough? We said, let's not meet as quite as often. People are too busy. People got too much on, the, on their schedule. We can't keep meeting. But he said in the end time, which will be difficult times, you need to get together more, 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 more. But I don't want to. You need to. Your very life depends on it. Come together even more frequently, eager to encourage and urge each other onward as we anticipate the day of his dying. I told you the end times will be demanding times. And my concern is that the church is running behind schedule. This is why revival is not just needed in a few churches, but in every church. To prepare us for the difficult times that are ahead. Y'all remember a couple of weeks ago when I, when I taught you out of 2 Corinthians 8, 1 and 2. Because I thought it was interesting that in, that in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 and 2 that Paul is talking about the churches of Macedonia. Well, one of those churches is the church of Thessalonica. Macedonia is a region. Thessalonica is actually the capital. It's the gateway city into Macedonia. And we learned out of our text a few weeks ago that they were, they were dealing with two regional spirits, poverty and persecution, two territorial spirits that they were fighting against, something to hinder, slow down, to stop the church's forward motion. And Paul refers to the church of Thessal Thess Thess Thessalonica as, as during, he, and he refers to them that they had gone through a time or a season of severe difficulty, tremendous suffering, he said. But through all of that, they had become even more filled with joy. So anytime we cry out for more, it will be surrounded on some level with some kind of difficulty, whether it's spiritual, physical, financial, relational on and on. It, 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 and so, so when I was looking at this text, I began, I began to think about, I began to think about the fact that this church, this church in Thessalonica, two years old, Paul's dealing with leadership. The oldest born again believers in the church at the most two years old, two years in Christ. And Paul begins to exhort them. And he, he exhorts them. And he instructs them that they need to find their place of battle. Most translations use the word unruly. Now, like I said, that's kind of a gem. You go from being unruly... To being a soldier AWOL. But this, 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 this phrase, unruly, unruly, 
It literally means to be out of order. Like I said, it's a military term that refers to soldiers who break rank, march in their own step. It means they're out of line. They're out of place. They're lazy. They're idle. Just a few of these same words in the Greek. It means to be in defiance of proper order. Two years into this thing, got a mess on our hands. Some of you have left your place of battle. It literally means an army that advances in disarray. What does that mean? That means whether you're ready or not, the battle is coming. You don't just go to battle when you get all your ducks in a row. You don't just go to battle when you got everybody in the right place at the right time and said, okay, now we're ready. No, you better be ready now because battle is coming whether you're ready or not. I just come to tell you today is the time of battle. This is the time of battle. It literally means that, that these believers were not at their duty station. Paul was so, so like into this word. He uses it again in 2 Thessalonians twice. Mm -hmm. Twice. Chapter 3, verse 6. Beloved brothers and sisters, we instruct you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Stay away from, he's serious. Stay away from believers who are unruly. Who stray from all that we have taught you. He said, don't even hang out with those. I don't write it. I just preach it. Beloved brothers and sisters, instruct you in the name of the Lord. Just stay away from them. Who? The unruly. Those that don't know their position in battle. Same chapter. Verse 11, now we hear rumors of some of you being lazy. Same word, unruly, out of position for battle. Same word. Being lazy and neglecting to work. For these people are not busy, but busy bodies. I want to read on, even though I don't have it in our our, our PowerPoint. Watch this. So with, with the authority of Jesus Christ, this is Paul talking, apostolic authority, With the authority of Jesus Christ, we order them to go back to work in an orderly fashion and exhort them to earn their own way or earn their own living. Brothers and sisters, don't ever grow weary in doing what is right. Okay, so so obviously Paul is dealing with a natural thing here and he's dealing with a spiritual thing here. The natural thing is there are people who are lazy who have lost their position in battle because they because because they don't want to pay the price. Let's see if I can preach this. Battle has a way of thinning the ranks. I don't know about all those battle songs. You might as well battle, because I say we're going to battle whether you want to or not. 
It's a part of the Christian experience in life of any one or any corporate body that is chosen not to settle for status quo Christianity and bow underneath of territorial spirits that have had their way for so many years because the church has capitulated their authority. But God is looking for a people that understand we are ready for battle. We are ready for battle. We are ready for battle. It's time. It's time, church. It's no way around it. It is time. So in the natural, what do we see here is we see there's a group of people and then there's enough of them that Paul felt like he needed to deal with this. So it's not like one or two. He's like, I got to deal with this because this is becoming an issue. In the natural, there are people, he said, that don't want to go get a job and work. But they want the church to give them everything. They want their church to give them their rent money. They want their church to give them their gas money. They want their church to do this and the church to do that. While they are doing nothing, when they can get up and go to work and get a job, they said, no, we're not going to work for this. We believe the church ought ought to give this to us because we deserve it. Some of y'all ain't saying amen yet because you already figured out where I'm headed. See, I have come to crush the spirit of entitlement. Not just in the natural, but in the spiritual realm. See, entitlement is when we think we deserve more than we really do. You know you're operating in the spirit of entitlement when you think you deserve more than you do. And when you, you don't get it, you just move on. You just move on to another place where they'll give you what you think you deserve without making you work for it. But I come to tell you there is a high price. There is a high price to the riches that are ours in Christ Jesus. There is a high price. And let me let me give you something right now. Because if you think you deserve something without working for it, you, my friend, are living under a spirit of entitlement. See, entitlement places self at the center of one's universe. When you attend a church where this fresh start of some other church, which after today you may be another church. Because it's pretty amazing how many people decide to go to a church because that church has offered them something they want without paying a price for it. You see, the cure for entitlement, I have learned, is a revelation. It is a revelation of God's mercy and grace. Religion somehow causes us to set that aside in our walk with God. 
and we begin to think that we are entitled for God to give us everything we want. Forgetting that everything he has given us is based not on my ability to be worthy of the gift, but it's based on his mercy and his grace. I have learned to live in the realm of God's presence that I deserve nothing but I live with a hopeful, holy expectation that through the mercies of God and through the grace of God, I have been given access to all things through Christ Jesus. But the church has been consumed by a consumer culture. Can I preach? Most churches are struggling to stay motivated and to keep the people motivated. We're spiritually hunched over in a defensive posture and position. The reason we are hunched over is because we are out of alignment. Unfortunately, I know about that right now. When the body is in pain, it defaults to the position that gives it the less pain. I walk the way I walk and I lean the way I lean right now because when I do that, I have less pain. Don't worry, I'll be fine. It's just a matter of Time. But I'm getting a good message out of it. Because much of the body of Christ today is out of alignment. We're not in order. You know why? It's because we look for the assignment without the alignment. Everybody wants to be in their assignment, but very few want to be in alignment. That was good right there. That was worthy. Oh, it is up there. And in our text, what Paul is trying to do is he's trying to point the way for them to achieve their divine assignments. See, assignment always emerges when our alignment is accurate. That's why you just can't go anywhere that pampers your assignment unless that is also bringing you into alignment. Because you can get out of alignment having a great assignment, but you'll never get to your assignment without the alignment. Uh, this is something you know you know people who who have entitlement uh, they get confused 
in a difficult season. You know what I'm talking about? Because when, when you feel like God owes you everything and things ain't going the way you want it to go and you're pleased for it to go, and this wasn't in my plans. I didn't have this in the alignment and the assignment. I didn't have this in the assignment. I just had the glory in the assignment. I just had the accomplishment in the assignment. I just had the victory in the assignment. I, I, yeah, 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 yeah. You see, 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 you got to understand this. Because you see, see, people that are entitled, they don't believe. They don't believe that they have to fight for it. They believe God owes it to them. God owes me the platform. God owes me the microphone. God owes me this and he owes me that. Uh, but God owes us nothing. God owes us nothing. We deserve nothing. And everything he gives us is out of his mercy and his grace. So what Paul is dealing with here, he's dealing with entitlement versus empowerment. So he said, if you want to be empowered, stop sponging off the church. And I'm not, I'm not talking about financially, but that could be a problem. I'm talking about in the spirit realm. Walk up in here and just soak up everything I want you to, but please understand somebody paid a price. And if you're going to keep soaking it up, you're going to have to pay the price too. Paul preached personal responsibility. Stop putting the responsibility on the person next to you to have your encounter with God. Stop putting it on the praise team. Stop putting it on Pastor Kim. Stop putting it on Pastor Paul. Stop putting it on the team. Stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. Stand up and take responsibility for yourself. You are where you are because you chose to be there. You say, why are these people shouting? Because they're paying the price. Yes? yes? See, here's the deal. Alignment and assignment are byproducts of encounter. Encounter is the calling card of the kingdom. Jesus said the kingdom is here. The king and the kingdom is here. Repent. Believe and repent. Believe the gospel. Encounter is the calling card of the kingdom. And once you have an encounter, whether it's your salvation encounter or subsequent encounters through revival, through spiritual experiences, It is encounter that calls us. Encounter invites us to join with the key. And this is alignment. Encounter saves us, brings us into subsequent experiences. But alignment is when we jump to lordship. This may be why we struggle with alignment. 
Because now he's dealing with lordship. Who's lord of it? Who's king? Now I'm moving from salvation to submission. I submit to the king. I surrender to the king. I give it all to the king. I realize what I got ain't all that great anyway. How can I lose? This is a win-win deal. I give him all that I have and it ain't much and he gives me all that he has and it's everything. So encounter brings us to alignment, which brings us to assignment, which is our opportunity to participate in the extension of the kingdom of God. You know what, 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 what I've learned is that the battle, it's, it's, it's time for battle. You know what I've learned is that the battle it's not about what I have done. But it's about who I've become. Hey. Let, me, let, me, let me help you out. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm really trying to help you out. I got a scripture here somewhere. Mm. Y'all doing all right? Oh, that's why. It's just awkward silence. That's because it's in this Bible. <laughs> I'm like, that is not right. If, if you fiddle around long enough, the Holy Ghost helps you. He said, that poor soul needs help. I'm going to go help the preacher today. All right. So alignment doesn't mean easy assignment. So you can still be in alignment and be in a difficult season. Alignment doesn't mean you're out. It could mean you're out, especially if you're stiff-necked and rebellious. But if you brought yourself to lordship and submission, the battle many times is not what we've done, but who we have become. Second Timothy Chapter 1, verse 8. Just let me read these scriptures here. Paul, the apostle again. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us, encounter, and called us, alignment, with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose, assignment, 
and grace, which was granted, watch this, granted us in Jesus Christ from all eternity, but now has been revealed. Everybody shout now. now. Has been revealed uh, by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Watch this. For which I was appointed. Another translation says anointed. And another one says uh, 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 um, um, consecrated. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. He says, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. For this reason I also suffered these things. Did you get that? Paul said, because I have been anointed and I have been appointed, I'm consecrated to preach, to be an apostle, and to be a teacher. For those reasons, I have suffered. No, you're not getting it. You know, what he's saying is, the reason I've gone through the things I go through, the reason I've been beaten, the reason I've been stoned, the reason I've been left for dead, the reason I have to fast, I have to pray, I have to, I have to go through shipwrecks, the reason I'm in prison right now is because I have been anointed, I have been appointed to preach, to be apostolic, and to teach. He said, all of this is because of who I am. That may not do nothing for you, but it helped me. See, Satan is trying to hinder our forward progress because he knows our future fight is already won. And the last thing he wants is you to get more victory. Yeah, this is good. He said, because of who I am. Because of who you are. It goes back to what Pastor John was talking about last week. Can you see yourself like heaven sees you? Can you see yourself with the eyes that God sees you? Can you see yourself with the eyes that hell sees you? When we stand up in this world and we, we look at all our flaws and we look at all our failures and we look at all our dysfunctions and we think we ain't worth anything, we're worth the attention of hell. When you're walking through hell, you understand why. It's because of who you are. It's because who you've been created to be in Christ Jesus. You're already there in the heavenly realm. God sees you anointed, appointed, and consecrated. The enemy was terrified of Paul's assignment. You ever wondered what Paul could have done if he didn't have to fight so much junk? If he didn't have to go through so much stuff? Could you imagine if Paul, the apostle, who is still yet the greatest apostle and will probably always be the greatest apostle, what he could have done if he would have been 100%? But we know physically he endured a lot. Emotionally, he endured a lot. He lived up under the burden of the churches. Not because he was paid to. Because it was his assignment. (laughs) 
Could you imagine what this book would have been like if Paul would have quit? What if he would have backed down? What if he would have given up? This is hard. He says, I've taken a beating for these people. And they're still messing up. But he kept going. Because it was his assignment to make sure that they would come back always into alignment. No, you ain't hear me. It was just a byproduct of human nature. Uh, they, they kept going off this way, off that way, and the apostle had to keep writing them letters, had to keep visiting them, had to keep pulling them back into the place of battle. You're getting off somewhere you don't need to be, and you're messing with stuff you don't need to be messing with. You're out of the place of battle. I'm bringing you back into assignment because now is the time of battle. I can't have you play Caden in the time of... Yes? yes. You know, the reason Paul never quit is because he had this resolve that God would give us the grace that Paul carried. To give us the resolve, he said himself, he said, I will not stop until I lay hold of why God has laid hold of me. He said, it's hard, it's been difficult, it's been stressful, it's been burdensome, but I can't stop because he's never stopped on me. Let, let, let me do these last two and these will go quickly. Faint-heartedness. He talked about, he talked about the fact that they're out of position Who's at a position, the faint-hearted or those that feel inadequate? He didn't say they were inadequate. He said they feel inadequate. You need to encourage them. Paul is telling the church leadership, you know who they are. Encourage them. Encourage them. If I was there, I would do it, but I can't get there right now. I need you to step up. And I need you to encourage those, those that are faint-hearted and those who feel inadequate. This word faint-hearted literally means to be small-souled. To be small-souled. The soul, the mind, the will, and the intellect. The mind, the will, and the emotions. The mind, the mind my intellect, uh, my will, my choices, and my emotions, how I feel. Do you realize something? Do you, do, do, do you realize That when you shut down your spirit or our spirit drops out of the battle, again, the automatic default then is to the soul. First Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul said, oh, God's will is that you be sanctified, spirit, soul, body. Not body, soul, spirit. Priority, spirit then your soul, then your body. I pray that you're sanctified, consecrated before the Lord. But see, when the spirit shuts down, 
When you come in this house, you're no longer full of passion. You're no longer full of joy. You're no longer full of praise. And all you can do is stand there and criticize and cut down and keep moving further to the back. Oh, you see, what well, you ain't hearing me. Because your spirit, man, is shut down. You no longer pray. You no longer read your Bible. You no longer sit in the presence of the Lord. You're just going through your life. And God is out here somewhere in a distance. And your spirit, man, is shut down. You know, hear what I'm getting ready to say. Because when your spirit shuts down, you have now given access of the enemy to your soul. The enemy can't get to your spirit, but if your spirit is shut down, he will work overtime on your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. And before long, you start making choices out of your mind, out of your will, and out of your emotions. How do I feel today? That's what I will do. Faint-hearted people, they're small-souled. They have a hard time staying in the battle. And it's because, again, they lack a revelation. The revelation of identity. People who struggle with inadequacy, I have been one. I have. I will be transparent. I have struggled with inadequacy. People that struggle with inadequacy always feel like they are less than because it is forever true. There's always somebody that's better at doing what you do. (laughs) They're better looking. They're more articulate. They're way much brighter. They can gather. There's always someone that if you compare yourself to them, you will begin to feel less than. I hate that thing. Too many of the people of God are living under the weight of comparison. If I could sing like that, if I could preach like that, if I could work like that, if I had this gift or that gift, but all I have is this parking lot thing. This nursery thing. My God, don't you know what happened in this house last week would have never happened if there hadn't been some people that understand what their gift is, their calling is, what their mantle is. But this really goes way beyond that. This is way beyond serving in the house of God. I don't want to just bring it back to that. I want to bring it back to you as a person that you understand God has never created anything or anybody that is less than. If I know my Bible right, he says we are more than. We are more than. We are more than. We are more than conquerors. When you and I were created in Christ, we were created adequate for the assignment. 
It's not about are you adequate, it's about are you in the right assignment? Because I can be in the right assignment and I can be in alignment and I can be goofy and be good at it. Thank you, baby. So, Paul deals with this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. He says, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate servants of a new covenant. Yes. I just want to crush that spirit. Remember the children of Israel sent the 12 spies into the promised land and they were getting ready to go in and take their promise. And 10 spies said, we are like grasshoppers in their sight. We're like grasshoppers in our own sight and we are in their sight. How come they never mentioned about who they were in God's sight? Who cares what the enemy thinks? And who cares what the person sitting next to you thinks? You shouldn't. You should just care about what your God thinks. Ah, I come to set somebody free today. So he said, encourage those. That's what I'm trying to do right now. I'm trying to encourage those who feel inadequate. Stop listening to your feelings. I don't know if feelings talk or not, but stop feeling your feelings. Well, you're going to feel them, but stop believing them. That's it. Stop believing. Yep. I may feel this way, but I am not this way. This is where we say the devil is a liar. The devil is a liar. The devil is a liar. The devil, but I got a greater revelation. He is faithful and he is true. The devil may open his mouth and lie, but when my God speaks, he is faithful. He is true. Hey. It's all right. Hey. That's the wonderful thing about our God. He never lies. So when he tells you something, it's true. Good preaching. On to the next Bible. He says, stand your ground. What? Stand your ground. Faithfully stand your ground. And help the weak to stand again. Wow. Stand your ground and help the weak to stand. 
stand to your ground while you're helping the weak to stand again. Okay, let's, let's, let's think about that. So that means while you've been standing your ground, the weak have been giving it up. Because she said help them stand again. It means at one point they were standing with you. But somewhere along the way, they gave up ground. They gave up territory. But you kept moving. You kept standing. See, when you talk about standing your ground, biblically, and there's, there's places all throughout the scripture that talk about standing firm and standing, you know, when you're doing all to stand. All those, was heard a great message at our conference on standing. When you say that, what that means is, is there is a resistance of two forces at opposing sides, and eventually the weakest link will give in. Resistance, pulling. Eventually the weak link will break. This, this, this is what Paul is dealing with here. He's saying you, you need to get back in your position of battle. You need to encourage the faint-hearted. And you need to stand your ground while helping the weak stand their ground. Isn't it something? This is the beauty of the body of Christ is we never have to stand alone. This is the beauty of being in a, in a, in a, in a, in a local church body. It's the beauty of being in small groups. It's the beauty of having relationships with other believers. Because you always know, today we stand together. And if I happen to fall, tomorrow they'll reach down and pick me up. And we will stand together again. I never have to fight this battle alone. Are you hearing me? Man of God, woman of God, you never have to fight the battle alone. When you are a part of the body of Christ, there's always somebody that's going to reach out and pick you up. Somebody shout yes. The interesting, the, the, the way that this thing is structured, is Paul is saying that the weak, the weak, the weak need assistance to build their own strength. Instead of the strong always perpetuating their weakness. This, this is a fine line where we have to learn to help the weak stand. And not to become their crutch. Because our goal is not to always be their crutch. Our goal is to build them where they can stand on their own feet. And fight their own battle. Our goal is that they'll get up every day and they'll put on the helmet of salvation. They'll put on the breastplate of righteousness. They'll put on the belt of truth. They'll put on the shoes of the gospel. And they'll draw their own sword and lift up their own shield. They will fight their own battles and win. Somebody shout yes. Stand up all over this room, team. Come.
I'm not quite done, but almost. You know, the warrior ethnos, the warrior's ethnos is that we leave no one behind. And I know we preach strong in this church. And I know we confront issues in this church. But never, 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 never forget that though we confront, we do not confront to condemn. See, those that are weak need somebody that knows how to empathize, but also someone that knows how to bring exhortation. See, to empathize means I feel you. All of us have failed enough to feel the pain of failure. All of us have disappointed God or felt like we've disappointed God and feel and deal with the shame and the pain. I feel what you feel, but I refuse to let you lay there. I refuse to leave my brother behind and keep going. If I'm going up, you're going with me. Now get up. Get the dust off. Put some band-aids on those bleeding places and let's walk together up. See, empathy says, I feel you. Exhortation says, I'm here to notify you. You got some issues. And these must be dealt with to get strong again. Yes? And Paul closes this wonderful verse up. Just one verse. He said, oh, and don't forget to demonstrate patience to everyone. I don't expect you to shout right now. That word patience is is, is quite interesting. It means to wait with grace. It means that you're never tapping out. You're never quitting. I'm never giving up on you. This is what Paul is telling us today. Obviously, he's speaking to the mature now. It means I'm going to get up under the burden that you're carrying until this matter is settled. It literally, literally, literally means staying in the spot as long as it takes to achieve breakthrough and victory. Watch this. This this, this is the part that really makes you struggle. Even if they know better. They know better. Sure they know better. Basically, he's telling us to deal with each other the way he deals with us. If you think God is done with you, if you think God has nothing left for you, if you think it's all over for you, then you know what? You just go ahead and treat everybody else like that. But if you really understand that if it wasn't for mercy, if it wasn't for grace, if it wasn't for the patience of the Lord, he would be done with me a long time ago. But he has kept loving me, kept breathing, kept breathing strength into me. When I felt like I had no life, he gave me life. When I felt like all I wanted to throw in the towel and leave, he said, you can't do that because I haven't thrown in the towel. And 
And then there's this woman in the Bible. I'm like, I feel you. She's all been over. 18 years. For 18 years, she takes her bent over body and she drags it through the streets to get to church on Sunday morning. What keeps you out of church? Bent over. The Bible says all together. I mean, she's like bent as you can be bent. Matter of fact, the word there means to be bent doubly. We don't know how, why, but we just know 18 years, the spirit of infirmity came upon her, a crippling spirit, one translation says. She's under this crippling spirit. Made her way to church on that Sunday, had no idea that Jesus was the preacher. And the Bible says Jesus saw her. Jesus called her. And Jesus put his hands on her and said, stand up. Actually, it was more like this because it said he gently, he said, stand up. Walks over to her because she's probably in the back. She probably came in late to find her place in the back because she didn't want to be noticed. She didn't want anybody to see her condition. She didn't want to see the fact she's been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. And, and now Jesus sees her and Jesus says, oh, you're a daughter, aren't you? You're not, you're not a bent over woman, you're a daughter. So he walks over to her, reaches out, says, come walk with me. Come on. Brought her to the center of the room, the last place she wanted to be, where everybody could see her, and said, now, get up. Stand up. I don't know what happened. I don't know what she felt, but the Bible is very clear when Jesus said, woman, thou art loosed, that she stood straight up. What she could not do before, she could do now. Maybe nobody even knew her name except she was the bold over woman. She was the bent one. She was the one that was bent. But but Jesus saw her. He saw that she's the daughter of God. You see, over time of being under that crippling spirit, she lost her ability to stand. Everyone identified her by that crippling spirit, the effect that it had on her. Bent double. But on that Sunday morning, she had an encounter. And when she had an encounter, the encounter brought alignment. Stand up. She had a fuse, the frozen spine, and everything begins to pop, 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 pop. For the first time in 18 years, she stands up straight. And she found her assignment. Who knew? She was a praise and worship leader. Since she began to praise God, 
Oh no, you ain't hearing me. She began to bring the high praise back. Even when religion was mad. Even religion said this shouldn't be taking place today. Jesus said this is a good day. This is a good day. This is a good day for the daughter, the daughter of Abraham to encounter the power of a living God. And the Bible says she began to overflow with joy and praise. And before long, even though religion got all mad about it, the whole place was shouting praise on to God. Who knows? Maybe you'll find your assignment. Who knew? Who knew? You don't even know who you're standing by. You don't even need what they carry today. Hallelujah. I don't even know where to go with this now. Except I've come to tell some people. It's time for battle. Listen to me. This is serious. If you chose not to be at conference, if you chose to, not to be at conference last week, if you chose to, you were out of your position. And I had to fight for you. And I didn't feel like fighting for you. Are you hearing this preacher? Stop taking this stuff lightly. That's how valuable you are. That's how important you are. That's what it means to this house. Your voice, your sound, your body, your power, your anointing, your gifting. We need it. This nation needs it. It's time for battle. I come today to urge you, to exhort you, to give you the realities of this thing. Sometimes it's hard, but if you don't quit, you will win. And the devil can't make you quit. He can't make you quit. You decide to quit. Paul could have quit. Peter could have quit. It was hard. Harder than most of you even realize. Don't quit. Stay in the battle. Stay in your place. Stay in alignment. Because when you get out of alignment, you see how I'm walking around up here? That's what you look like in the spirit realm. You want to look like that? You just go right ahead. All hunched over. Because it's hard. I don't want to feel the pain. Straighten that back up. <laughs> I got these mirrors in my house. Every time I walk in front of it, I said, oh, straighten that back up. Come on. Like, oh, straighten that back up. 
You're not going to look like that forever. It's only temporary. Straighten that back up. I come to crush the spirit of entitlement, the spirit of inadequacy. And this crippling spirit that tries to keep you somewhere on the back row. I'm, I'm not just talking about people in the back row. You know what I mean. They got to sit somewhere. But you just come into the house of God and you leave the house of God hoping nobody sees you because you think all they see is a bent over woman. But when Jesus showed up, everything changed. Thank you for listening in to the Fresh Start Church podcast, where we exist to influence a nation with revival. You can order Pastor Kim's book, Doorkeepers of Revival, at doorkeepersofrevival.com. And you can listen to Fresh Start Revival Worship on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you stream your music. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time.